Berlin Williams, and welcome back to another episode of Enneagram Restored Podcast. For my faithful listeners, thanks for listening again. For my new listeners, I hope you enjoy this episode. In this week's episode, I'll be covering the childhood messages that shape the types of the gut triad and some of the core fears and motivations of the gut types. I'll also share how discovering my type helped me start changing how I view and express both my vulnerability and emotions. So I think I've actually failed to explain how the episodes of Enneagram Restored podcast will work. So before we get into the meat of this episode, before we actually talk about what this episode is all about, I want to briefly explain the layout of episodes. So you can think of the layout episode of the layout of the episodes like sections. Okay, the first episode of each section will be like today's episode will be um, where we where I'll take a look at a triad, uh, which will include three types in itself. So, and then we'll talk about each three types individually. Um, also, with some accompanying interviews for that type, and then we'll move on to the um, next triad. So, to put this into perspective a little bit for you, let, let's take today's episode, for example. So today, let's start talking about the gut triad, the um, body types, which involves the eights, nines, and ones. So we'll talk everything there is, or I'll give you a lot of information about the triads themselves. But then starting next week, I will break into just talking about the eights. And the week after that, the nines. And then after that, ones. And so that's how it's going to kind of work with each section. And so once I've covered one section, like I said, we'll move on to the next triad and repeat the process. Um, for the first season, at least, this is this is typically how it's going to work. Um, layout might change a little bit um, come season two. But for right now, this, that's, this is what you can expect. Uh like the layout episodes for this podcast. So let's jump right into it. So as you may know, each type um, picks up um, an unconscious message as a child. This message is like a theme, an ideal um, that is crucial in shaping them as adults and is crucial in shaping a person within their type. So for the gut triads, the eights, nines, and ones, there's a different message for each one. So let, we're, let's take a look at those messages for each, the eights, nines, and ones that they receive of this message during childhood. Uh, and let's just start with eights, all right? So as children, eights pick up this wounding message that vulnerability is not okay. Only the strong survive. Uh, and actually, the word vulnerable um, leaves a bad taste in an eight's mouth. And I can attest to that firmly because as an eight myself, I don't like to be open with emotions. I don't like to show weakness. Um, and I thought it was a unique personality trait for me growing up. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on in this episode. Um, but eights as children 
get the get this idea that it's a dog eats dog world. Uh, whether they are told this directly or um, if they unconsciously pick this message up, apes are quickly to become the animal at the top of the food chain because they do not want to exhibit weakness. They um, want to be vulnerable and experiencing emotions is just not something an eight is very attuned to doing so while this message is a negative message in itself eights can actually become a powerhouse a healthy eight can be a powerhouse in society so as a healthy eight who understands that it's okay to be vulnerable and to experience emotions and that it's not necessarily an every man for themselves type of world. And a healthy eight is someone who can step in and bring justice to an unjust situation. Eights aren't afraid to challenge things. And so that's the entire part of the, an eight spin. I mean, we are called challengers because we aren't afraid to take that step because we don't show weakness. And so that kind of leads us to being the firm type people we are. But in healthy aid that understands this and how emotions and vulnerability play into being an aid really can become that powerhouse because they can say, all right, set inside my emotions and taking home, kind of experiencing empathy for somebody else they take an unjust situation and make it just. Nines, though, as peacekeepers, have this totally different message. So nines as children understand that they shouldn't assert themselves into situations because their wants, their opinions, their desires, and their presence really don't matter much. And because nines grow up believing that their presence doesn't really matter asserting themselves into situations is just not their thing they do not like to do it in, in fact in conflict rather than to assert their opinion rather than say all right this is what we should do to solve this problem a nine will often either take sides in order to keep the peace or they will physically remove themselves to escape the conflict. So a nine, because of their basic desire, the basic need to experience harmony, to experience peace, will do whatever it takes to escape conflict. Now, no child, no human being, no one should ever have to grow up believing that their presence doesn't matter, that they don't, that they as people do not really matter. And that's to kind of really stop on that message a little bit. It's not really saying that they don't matter, but they're often overlooked. And so kind of what nine C is, all right, if I set myself with someone else's agenda, I won't be overlooked and they will see me. They might not see me how I want them to see me, but at least they will see me. But on the flip side, a healthy nine is a natural great mediator because they, you know, understand, all right, 
they can subjectively look at situations. They can say, all right, I see how you feel about the situation. I see how you also feel about the situation. Here's the common ground. I can I can see us taking to have an effective conversation to say, all right, here's how we fix the situation. Here's how we keep the peace without retreating out of the conflict. This is how we engage in the conflict peacefully to keep the peace. But once, gosh, once, their message is just directly <laughs> embedded into their name, okay? So ones are referred to as their perfectionist, and this really comes true to form through the message that they pick up, whether it's directly again or whether it's unconsciously as kids. And that message is that mistakes are not okay. It's everything must be perfect. It's not everything ought to be perfect. No, everything must be perfect. The option for things to fail is not within a one's vocabulary. And so oftentimes when a one makes a mistake, it they take it out on themselves. And I'll go more in depth into that too later on this episode. But just to know that as a kid, whether they're told this directly or whether they pick up on it unconsciously, they're told mistakes are not okay. Now, I must have myself missed out on this message because I grew up thinking <laughs> mistakes are okay no matter what. But within that, I was seen by other people, by people from church, by teachers, um, people in the community as the perfect, quote unquote, as the perfect child. And so while I mean, personally, I was like, <laughs> I don't care if I make mistakes, but People saw me as a perfect child, so I would often lie um, in order to seem as perfect. But, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't qualify myself as a one because, like, I will make a mistake, and but I will lie about it to lay blame on something or someone else about it. But <laughs> the lying, that lying, uh, really kind of really drew something else something else out of me because now I hate lying with the passion. It's just not one of those things like, all right, if you lie to me, you're going to be easily forgiven because lying is not worth it. But I just, for me, I say all that to say, I just, I do not pick up on the same message as one. It's like, I'm okay with making mistakes. As even in my college time here at Evangel, it's like D's get degrees, and that's all I need. I'm not looking for the A. I'm not looking for the B. If I get it, that's okay. But as long as I get a passing grade, I'm okay. So, but anyway, enough about me. I kind of went off on a tangent there. But healthy ones are able to not only forgive themselves of mistakes, but they're also able to forgive others of mistakes. Um, and that really just kind of is a quality that we are missing in the in society as a whole. You know, not only with being able to forgive ourselves of, of mistakes, but moreover, forgiving other people of mistakes. Because we, we as a society, we see people's mistakes and we're qu quickly to point them out and say, and really a big thing going on now is 
counsel culture where you look at people's mistakes and then automatically counsel them, um, which I have my own preservations about counsel culture and don't have time to talk about in this podcast. And neither is this the really setting to talk about that here, but healthy ones who understand this, who have the ability to forgive others and forgive themselves mistakes really do also just as eights become a powerhouse in society, just as nines, a healthy nine can become a powerhouse in societies. These three types, if they are healthy and understand how to really take advantage of the downfalls of their type as well as the advantages of their type can become some great powerhouses of society and really bring a lot of things that were lacking in society as well. And so that's really the encompassing type of like this message that as children, the eights, nines, and ones, every other, the three types that make up the gut triad are the, also known as the body types make up how, how that really plays a part into forming that child, how that childhood message really plays a part in forming a person as an eight, really plays a part in forming a person as a nine, really plays a part in forming a person as a one. So a lot of just wildness to it, okay? But let's move on to talk about the deadly sin, anger, and core fears and motivations of the gut type. Every type has a deadly sin and core fears, motivations um, about them. So eights, nines, and ones, of course, each have a deadly sin. But eight, nines, and ones are also driven by anger in different ways. Um, Again, like I said, each type has core fears and motivations that make them their type. So let's 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 start by looking at the deadly sins. So the deadly sin of a type eight is lust, and not lust in the manner of sexual lust, uh, but a lust for intensity. Um, eights want to be wherever the action, wherever the energy is, because it, we kind of thrive off of that. Um, and if and if there isn't any action, if there isn't any energy, an eight will often make it happen. They will cook it up. They will bring energy. They will bring action to the scene. If it's a, if you're in a group of people and it's pretty dead, you can very well count on an eight to say, bring a little bit of life to the situation. Bring a little bit of energy. Um, because eights. <laughs> somehow are just that with you know not really being open somehow have energy though um and the eights actually have the most energy of all the enneagram types and so eights also like because they are full throttle people um and because they eights are about intensity eights deal with anger by externalizing it and so that can come to show an example as if um so all right they're the first people to be verbal 
about the situation when they're angry or, you know, to actually take physical harm inside a situation to express their anger, they will physically or verbally outstate that anger and not really hold it back or wait to a later date, but right there in the moment, express externally that anger. Nines, though, have a different deadly sin. Nines have the deadly sin of sloth. And not, I know you're probably picturing uh, that little animal, um, the sloth, you know, we've seen it in Zootopia, the Disney movie, and, and we, you know, we see it in the zoo when we go there. They kind of look cute, but I just want to know, what is the real purpose of a sloth? It just sits in a tree all day long. Like, really, what 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 does a sloth really attribute to the, like, animal society? But anyway, all of that little tangent of mine, nines aren't sloths in the physical nature, but more in the spiritual um, sense. So since nines have this unconscious message that it's, it's not okay to assert themselves, um, they become sloths to their own passions. They they fall asleep to um, their personal development and becoming their own person. And so that's how they are sloths. They aren't really sloths like physically. They're um, not really on time tasks or completing their to-do list, but they become sloths in the manner of spiritually and in their personal development and like really becoming their own person. They, they really take a slower time to really see that, really see that it's okay to have their own opinions, to have their own wants, to have their own desires, and to really exhibit those outwardly to people. And it's just a slow process, a slower process than usual for them to reach that place of recognition that it's okay to have those passions, those desires, those wants and things, and to exhibit those as for someone like me or an eight or maybe a one that might come within the first two years of being a teenager or something like that. But for a nine, it may take a little bit longer and they might not really fully see those qualities come to being and really become their own person um, until they're maybe even 30, early 40s, maybe even later than that. So because they become a slow to their own development because like, again, nines are peacemakers and they want to keep the peace and with that that often means taking the agenda of other people but how nines deal with anger is also different as well nines deal with anger um, by just forgetting about they they don't really internalize it externalize it they just say you know what anger is useless in this moment and they just forget about it really and so it's kind of odd to really think that you know here's a type just forgetting about anger but really as a peacemaker it's very understandable that they would forget about anger which is the exact opposite of peace um ones a just like nines and just like eights had their own daily sin and different way they deal with anger, one's daily sin is anger. Now, me, myself, honestly, I was kind of taken aback when, uh, and I was, when I learned about this, I was really surprised that 
the deadly sin for ones was anger. I was expecting anger to be the deadly sin of eights. Uh, because that's, you know, as, you know, an eight myself and knowing my experiences, I was like, okay, an eight is definitely going to be very deadly sinfully about anger. <laughs> um, because of just this driving need to challenge every situation and, you know, everything that really, there's so much that goes into making an idiot. And I didn't even realize it, but like, just even looking back at it myself, like, okay. But anyway, um, I was, I was just surprised to find out that eighth were, were lust and not anger and actually ones were anger. Um, and I might have some slight grievances with that, but, uh, I don't make the rules. I just follow them. If if I can say that to really point out how I feel about that, but anyway, but when you think about it, though, the ones having the deadly sin of anger is actually very comprehensible because since ones have this compulsive need to be perfect, when they nor anyone else really live up to a one's high standards and the perfectionism doesn't meet quality standards of perfectionism and there are mistakes being made ones give in to smoldering resentment and so uh yeah compulsivity and being perfect really leads to anger but they deal with it by internalizing it and saying it's as a one who, you know, is dealing with anger to say, it's my fault because I should have done better to make this situation go perfectly. And I failed. And so those are just some of the types of sentences, some type of words that uh, one might say when internalizing anger because they feel like, okay, everything needs to be perfect and I should have done a better job about making sure it was perfect. And since it did not turn out perfect and since a mistake was made, it's my fault. And they lay the blame on themselves and their anger is reflected onto themselves. And that really, and that's not really a healthy manner uh, to reflect anger to back, back on yourself. So no, that's the deadly sins. That's how they deal with anger. Let's, Let's talk about core fears and motivations of the gut types, the eights, nines, and ones. And so it's, when talking about core fears and motivations, it's good to note that oftentimes you might hear the word why, W-H-Y. And the reason behind that is because what makes a type a type is the why they are like that, why they do certain things why they think like that why do they see the situation in that way so enneagram types is not a personality test based off of you know your current situation but it's based off on those deep okay why do you think that way why do you act that way and so that's where core fears and motivations come into play and and really play a major factor in typing a person alone so Core fears and motivations are really one of the top contenders or factors when it comes to typing a person. And so is um, um, 
gosh, I went blank there, but core fears and motivations are one of the key things when it comes to typing a person because it lays out that why a person acts the way they act, why a person does what what they do, why a person thinks, and that's what the Enneagram is about. It's not about, all right, you, you did this because you felt that way, but you did this because you were raised, you were taught this. So it's really more about the whys and not, not the currency of the situation. So, but for type eights, there are, should I say my, it, it, can, I, can I be a little bit frank with you? Our core fear um, as an eight, I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak on the latter part of it. Our core fear is being controlled. And so I've lost count of how many times as a kid um, of how angry I got when I was told to do something. By my parents and it wasn't because i knew it, it it wasn't because what they said did not need to be done i knew it needed to be done but i just didn't want to be told to do it i wanted to do it on my own volition i wanted to be i wanted to say all right this was my idea i'm in control of my life so i need to do this and that's really the core fear of ace that's the driving fear behind us as people, it, it's not that we won't allow people take to take control of situations. Just don't control our lives. You, you can control the the group, but don't try to tell me as an eight how to live my life. Don't try to say, "All right, you need to do that," because that's when I say, "That's when I kind of." That's when as eights we shut down and we really tune you out because as eights, we fear being controlled. We don't want to be in control. The only thing we want to be in control of is our life. You can take everything else, but as long as you leave us in control of our life as an eight, we'll be happy. And it's because of their... As eights, the, the key motivation, the core motivation is, is that we have is to be self-reliant, to prove our strength, to resist weakness, and to be in control of our situations. And so that's kind of where that, through our core motivation, that's where our core fear of being controlled is really made from. Yes, we, ha we have this motivated desire to be self-reliant and not to show weakness and being controlled really takes away that we aren't really being self-reliant and then we are in a moment of weakness if we're being controlled by somebody else if we're being told what to do with our lives so nines though i have a little bit different core fears nines fear loss and separation so specifically, separation from people. So this is why a nine will cope by agreeing to the agenda of other people. This is why a nine will just go in with the current of the ocean. This is why a nine will just go with the flow because they don't want to be separated because they feel like, again, as a kid, they picked up on this message that they're being overlooked. So in order to really fit in they they 
go with people's agendas so they won't be overlooked. And they take away their own opinions. They, they get rid of their own desires, their own wants. Because they are motivated excuse me, they are motivated by their need to create peace and harmony. Uh, and like I said before, nines will do whatever it takes to not deal with conflict. They will do whatever it takes to not deal with an unpleasant emotion. They will physically remove themselves from a room if that means that's how they escape from this unpleasant emotion. They will mentally shut down if that means that's how they escape from that unpleasant emotion. Ones, though, are driven by their fear of being corrupt. So since one's fear being pointed out as a fake, being pointed out as, as corrupt, being pointed out as unmoral, uh, immoral, rather, um, they are motivated to strive higher, to be right, and to be consistent in their ideals. And so I know, as you can see, there's there's just a lot of information to take in about core fears and motivations and the deadly sins and anger um, and how how the childhood message uh, type plays into forming uh, some of them forms them as an adult and there's a lot of information just to take in within just the gut triad and i've haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg and it's the same way for the heart types and for the um, um head types too it goes so much deeper and I won't, in this first season, I will never really actually even cover the tip of the iceberg for any of the triads. But I do encourage you to research it more on your own. After you listen to this episode, take a day or two to just digest what you heard in this episode. And then get on Google and get go to Go to the Enneagram Institute. Go to truity.com and really research um, more about the gut types, the eights, nines, and ones. But before you do that, because this is a lot of information, digest. allow yourself to digest what you heard in this episode before you go researching it more by, by yourself. And so I know... I presented you with a lot of information. Like I said, take some time to digest. Take a day or two, digest the information you heard here today. And and but I promise you, that's all the information about eight nines and ones you're gonna hear in this episode today. So um just sit back and relax because um things get a little bit easier as we come to the close of this episode. And so I I do want to talk a little bit about how discovering my type led me to start changing how I view both my vulnerability and emotions, though. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Hey. 
Hey, it's your host, Braylon Williams. I want to say thank you for listening. Your support is greatly appreciated. You can support Enneagram Restored even more by sharing this podcast with your family and friends and by making a monthly donation at anchor.fm slash Enneagram Restored slash support. Again, thank you for listening to Enneagram Restored Podcast. Discovering my Enneagram type showed me that I needed to change how I viewed and expressed both my vulnerability and emotions. But it actually wasn't until I met this one girl that I actually started changing how I viewed being vulnerable and open with emotions. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background about the, the situation, all right? So growing up as a black man, one of the things that I understood as a kid is that men, especially black men, are not allowed to have emotions and they're not allowed to be vulnerable. Uh, growing up, because growing up as a black boy, I, I also knew that the world was hard enough on black people already. And I knew that if I wanted to survive, if I wanted to protect my family, that meant getting rid of my emotions. That meant getting rid of that, you know, letting people see that I am capable of being weak, that I'm capable of having weaknesses. So it, it so up until I discovered my Enneagram type, I actually took pride in not being vulnerable and not having emotions. I actually kind of flaunted it a, a little bit everywhere I went. It's like, <laughs> I'm a robot. I don't do emotions. Emotions are for the weak. And I actually remember thinking to myself when I was learning about type eights, uh, I remember thinking that and saying to myself that maybe one day, I'll be more open with my emotions. But in the in that moment when I thought that, when I said that to myself, I had no actual intentions of becoming more vulnerable and open with my emotions. Like I said it, but I knew I was never going to work on it. I, I knew, I, okay, I knew I said, maybe one day, but it's like, yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm never going to do that. But Thank God just kind of wanted to play some tricks on me because later on, and this date will forever be ingrained into my memory because it is the day that I like to say my entire life was set into motion to change um, is October 2nd, 2019. On October 2nd, 2019, you, you, you can't see me now, but, but I'm a little bit blushing right now. But, but on October 2nd, <laughs> 2019, I I met the most beautiful girl ever to live, and I started to experience feelings that I have never felt before in my life, and I did not know how to deal with them, but to make a long story short, I knew <laughs> I needed to figure out how to deal with them, so I knew that meant that possibly asking my friends for advice. But along with asking my friends for advice, I knew that meant that I had to be, you guessed it, 
vulnerable. <laughs> I had to be open about my emotions. I had to I had to allow them to see some weaknesses about myself. And so in the beginning, when I, I first started to talk to them about this girl, uh, I was very, and even still, honestly, sometimes I'm very selective about what emotions I, I exhibit and what information I give them. Being careful enough to, you know, not give away too much to show that, okay, this is an actual weakness I have, but to say more like, okay, I, this is a struggle, but not a weakness. Can you give me advice? And honestly, it was it was a stretch across the pond. It was a jump across the bridge. But doing that, being selective about what emotions and what information I gave them actually made me become a little bit more vulnerable and open up my emotions and in the end i was at a pretty comfortable place because i was like okay i can be selective about the information i'm okay with being selective about what i present what i exhibit what i tell people that's okay if it if being vulnerable and being open with my emotions mean meant that i could be selective about what i said was completely comfortable i was completely okay with that but then later on comes the effects of covid and the death of my grandma and they just those emotions with covid and the my grandmother's death just added to the confusion of emotions that i was having in the time so eventually i had to seek out counseling to try to make more sense of everything and through my counseling sessions, I learned that it's okay to be completely vulnerable and to be, to experience emotions in the fullness. And so I have to admit, right now, I'm at a point in my life where I'm still learning to be completely vulnerable and I'm still learning to be, allowing me, myself to ex experience emotions to the fullness. But I have some key people that I'm allowing that to happen with. Key people that I'm daily trying to be more open with on a daily basis to not to say, all right, if I to tell myself, okay, if I tell them this, it's not a weakness. I'm not showing weakness. I'm doing this to better myself. And so I'm working with key people in my life daily to, you know, work through this and to become completely vulnerable. Uh, to be okay with being completely vulnerable and be and be okay to experience those mushy gushy feelings uh, <laughs> to the fullness of what they might be, and it's a hard thing to do. Like I said, it's something I work on every day, and and each time I try to express emotions, those mushy gushy lovey dovey emotions, more, I still feel yucky on the inside to be like i can't believe <laughs> uh, i can't believe i just told you that um, don't think any less of me that doesn't mean i'm weak I, I still get those think those thoughts after i talk to people and tell them certain things but i'm learning like i said each day i'm learning that it's okay to let people see my weakness it's okay to be completely vulnerable it's okay to 
experience emotions to the fullest. It's okay to experience those mushy, gushy, lovey dovey. Oh my goodness, I need you type feelings in my life. It's okay. As much as I hate to admit it, it's okay. Because one of the things about me is that pretty much the only person that I will ever admit that I need in my life is Jesus. Other than that, I don't need nobody, but I've learned to be okay with actually needing people in my life. Actually saying, all right, I don't want to let you go, so I'm going to do everything in my best ability to foster, to um, really take this relationship into hand and to keep it to where we don't lose touch with each other. So I know I have, I, I still have a long way to go into with my vulnerability and emotions, but I'm actually glad that um, I've chosen to change this aspect of my life, that I've chosen to restore my vulnerability and emotions to how they should be in a healthy manner. So I'm glad that I've, take, I'm, I've started this journey and I'm on this journey of restoration of vulnerability and emotions to a more healthy state rather than being in this unhealthy state of being completely closed off from people. So I can only imagine what happens when I actually reach the full potential of that, though. It's going to be amazing. Well, that's all I have for this week's episode of Enneagram Restored Podcast. But again, thank you for listening. Um, you don't want to miss out on next week's episode because eights will have the spotlight. I feel like I'm a little bit biased to eights because I am eights. I've been talking, I've put a lot of emphasis on eights when I talk about it, but I promise you I'm going to do better by putting the same amount of emphasis on every type. But bear with me because I am an eight. There's a little bit bias there when I talk about them. So, but for sure, my bias will surely come through in next week's episode because it's going to be all about eights. Um, so um, it's going to be a great episode though don't miss out on it and before we go just remember that the Enneagram doesn't define you but it does bring restoration it helps reshape your thinking and habits 